He is currently serving as our communications director at our network office of the Assemblies of God here in New York, um, and also serves on the Board of Elders here at Grace Assembly of God. So please join me in welcoming Pastor Mark Freeman. Thank you. I've preached at Grace a lot of times. That was the first time I got applause for coming up here, so that's a big win. Right? Hey, we've had, we've had a lot of stuff already this morning going on, but I'm super excited to have the opportunity to share the word with you guys. But the good news is I have an inboard um, timer built in. I had a um, venti cold brew coffee about two hours ago. Um, so everybody knows you don't buy coffee, you rent coffee. So we're going to be fine. We're going to get through this together. But this is one of my favorite seasons of the year. Um, and it's because we just got through Shark Week which was awesome, those of you who are Discovery fans. And we are now, we, the Olympics have started this week, and I love the Olympics. I'm, it's just, it's, it's, it's such an exciting season of the year. Uh, but that also, this season of year tells me something else. When I drive past the state fairgrounds, I see them starting to get ready for the New York State Fair. And not to freak anyone out, but just to remind you that at the end of the summer is the state fair. And it's funny how we kind of like use that as a, as a clock for the summer, right? When the state fair is here, we're like, uh-oh, summer is almost over. But um, I, the, the state fair is such a unique place. It's, it's one of the unique places in the world. And you go to the state fair for two reasons. There's only really two reasons you go to the state fair if you're not raising some sort of live, livestock. One is to eat food you would never eat anywhere else at any other time in your life, right? Bacon bombs and deep fried whatever you bring to that guy, right? And then the second is to people watch. The state fair, I mean... It brings, it brings all the flavors out, doesn't it? I mean, you find a little bit of everything. And I love, I love people watching. That's one of my favorite things to do. And the State Fair is a great place to people watch. I mean, you go through like the agriculture buildings where there's like cows giving birth and sheep and things like that. And there's like, I, there, sometimes you feel awkward because as you're like checking out all the animals, you look into one of the stalls where there's animals and then there's like three kids just sleeping. Like... <laughs> amongst the cows and stuff, and you're I'm like, well, this is interesting, I've never seen, and then they like make eye contact with you, and you're like, oh my gosh, and you like quickly hustle by, but it's a, like, when you're at the state fair, you realize God has made so many different types of people, and he brings them all together, and I wonder if God in heaven was like, you know what, here's my creation, how can I get them to do something impossible? I'll make all types of people and then tell them to love each other. That's it. That's what I'll do. And then they'll have to rely on me, right? It's even amazing how God will bring different types of people together, right? So I'm an extrovert. You may or may not be aware of that. And my wife is not an extrovert. She is an introvert. But it's amazing how God will bring, you probably are familiar with this in your own relationships as well. It's amazing how he'll bring different people together. And we find this amazing way to love each other and to care for each other. Extroverts um, we look at introverts and we think to ourselves, we can fix them, right? <laughs> I can save them. They, they really do want to love and be around people. And introverts look at us and they think, they're monsters, <laughs> right? But the beauty of, of these different people coming together is like, 
Could you, I can't, my heart, even being an extrovert, I'm trying to imagine what life would look like with two extroverts together going through life. You would never be anywhere, ever on time, ever. Like, it's the introvert second half of me that's like, okay, we gotta go now. There's kids at home. We gotta go take care of them, right? But then it's the extrovert that's like, come on, we should go out of our house every now and again and see people and share life with people. And, and I think it's, that's one of the beautiful things about, about who God is and the way he's created us. He's created us to do life together, to share life together, all of our different flavors and all of our different personalities brought together. And even though we're all different, and even though we tick different ways, there's things that we have in common. And I think specifically two things that all of us have in common. One is we want to have a meaningful life. And two is we want to have significant relationships. We want to have a meaningful life, and we want to have significant, deep relationships. And, and in other words, another way you could put this is we want, to be know, we want to know, and we want to be known. We want to know other people. We want to know what the purpose of our lives is, and we want to be known. We want to know that our lives have meaning, that our lives have purpose. We want to know what we're supposed to do with our lives, that there's something bigger than ourselves. There's a reason for this life and a reason for our lives. And, and what we do really matters. And ultimately, we want to know that we matter, that our life has significance. And the only way that we can achieve either of these things, I believe, is in relationship in relationship with each other. I want to propose that this morning that both of these things are found in relationship with Jesus and in community with one another. We find purpose for our lives, we find, mean, find meaning, and we find ourselves in relationship. I propose that the very design of God is for us to find identity and purpose and fulfillment for our lives through the person and work of Jesus Christ and in relationship with his people known as the body of Christ. I think one of the clearest pictures we see of this uh, is if, if we look at what life looked like for the early believers back at the beginning in Acts chapter two. If you've got your Bible with you, if you're at home following along with us online, or if you've got a device of some sort that has the Bible on it, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter two, and we're gonna start in verse 41. And while you're going there, let me remind you what has happened up to this point. So Jesus was born, Jesus lived a perfect life, Jesus was crucified, died on the cross to forgive our sins. He resurrected three days later. He ascended back into heaven after people saw his resurrected body. And then he told the believers before he ascended, go and wait for the Holy Spirit to fill you. The Holy Spirit comes. The early believers are filled with the Holy Spirit. Specifically, one man named Peter is mentioned. He is filled with the Holy Spirit and begins to preach. And all the people start listening to what he has to say. And boom, we find ourselves here in verse 41 of Acts chapter 2. This is what it says. Those who believe that what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity." 
all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Would you bow your heads with me and pray this morning as we ask God to reveal the truth of this scripture to us? Father, we are grateful and thankful that you have given us your word so that we can know what the purpose of our lives is, how we should live our lives, but ultimately that we would know what has been done so that we can have relationship with you, restored and redeemed from the effects of sin. And so this morning as we study your word, illuminate to our hearts what your plan and purpose is for our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Verse 42 tells us that the believers were devoted to four things, the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to sharing meals, and to prayer. These four things then began to get further unpacked in verses 43 through 47, so let's take a look at what they have to say. The first thing for us to observe is that they were devoted to the gospel. Verse 43 is such a great verse for us to understand the mindset of the early church and a great reminder for us as well. This is what it said in verse 43 again. It said, a deep sense of awe came over them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Other translations say it this way, fear came upon their soul. There is something amazing that happens when we're in the presence of God, when we see him moving, when we understand the truth of the gospel, there is this awe and wonder that is built in us because it's unlike anything we've ever seen before. When I was a kid growing up, there was these books that were my favorite to check out of the library. They were called Ripley's Believe It or Not. Um, If you've seen those before, they're great. It's all kinds of crazy weird facts and crazy things in the world that you're like, whoa, I didn't even know that existed. Well, there is a, down in down in, um, in Myrtle Beach, there is a Ripley's Believe It or Not aquarium down there. And, it's, and so it's like all these crazy fish and things and weird things about aquatic life. And uh, when, when my daughter was about a kindergartner, we went on vacation down there. And they have all these cool exhibits and amazing things you get to see. And as we're navigating our through one of these exhibits, all of a sudden she kind of just stops dead still and she's just staring at this TV screen. And I wasn't really paying much attention until I, saw, I, was, I was noticed that she was just unflinchingly staring at the screen. I'm like, what in the world is capturing her attention? And when I look at what's happening, it's like chaos on the screen. I'm like, what in the world is going on? And as I stare at it longer and longer, I realize it's a video of a herd of cows crossing a river and there are piranha in the river attacking the cows as they're trying to go through the river. And it's like, it's like exactly what you would see on these like crazy movies where it's just like bubbles and chaos and zzz, and there's this one poor cow and he's trying his best to get across the river and, the, and she is just like mesmerized by a little bit of terror, a little bit of like amazement. She's never seen anything like that before. For months after being there, she keeps, she would just randomly remind us, remember that video of that cow that was being eaten by the, it, was, it struck this awe and amazement in her. And I'm not saying that Jesus is like a piranha eating, but what I am saying is when you see something you've never seen before or hear something that's so radically different than what you've ever seen or heard before, There is this awe and wonder that it creates. And I believe the gospel, when we fully understand who Jesus is and what he's done on our behalf, it builds in us this awe and wonder. And we find ourselves being devoted to the gospel. It means that the gospel is unlike anything else that we have ever heard. And signs and wonders that accompanied the message of the apostles struck awe and amazement in their hearts. This created in them this deep hunger for the teachings of the apostles, for the truth of the gospel. 
The early believers saw an active, powerful gospel, not just a list of rules to be followed. They were drawn by the very power of God to heal the sick, to bring freedom from sin, and to raise the dead. They were devoted to the gospel. Their lives were centered around its teachings, and they were nourished by it. If the gospel is just another list of things to do to add to your life, then it will never be the fuel that fires purpose and meaning for your life. What things bring awe and wonder to your life? I believe the gospel alone has the power to change my life, to kill my selfishness, to motivate me to live graciously, humbly, with urgency and passion. And the gospel is this. It is while we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. The supreme creator, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the ruler and sustainer of the universe, the sovereign one, left his throne in heaven, motivated purely by his love for us, in spite of our own rebellion, and paid the price for our disobedience. And the price was his life. Oh, and that same God that also wants a personal relationship with us. He wants you to be known by him. And he wants to give us peace and joy and blessing. And he wants us to know that we are his dearly loved children. Oh, and he has made us co-heirs with him in Christ. Everything that the son Jesus has, we now have access to in restored relationship with our savior Jesus. That is the gospel. What Jesus has done for us in our place that we could not do for ourselves and it's given freely to us in love. And this is what drives us to worship. Or should I say, this is what should drive us to worship. And it's in worship of God that we further center our life on the gospel message. We worship in awe and wonder. I love this quote. It says, worship that restores us is also worship that restores us. It rewrites us. Worship that restores us is also worship that restories us. Worship is not just something we do, but it's something that is done to us. That's a quote from D.A. Car- or, I'm sorry, from James K.A. Smith's book, You Are What You Love. This is what he goes on further to say. You can think of it this way. Worship works from the top down. In worship, we don't just come to show God our devotion and give him our praise. We are called to worship him because in this encounter, God remakes and molds us top down. Worship is the arena in which God recalibrates our hearts, reforms our desires, rehabituates our loves. Worship isn't just something we do. It's where God does something in us. Worship is the heart of being a follower of Jesus because it's the gym in which God retrains our hearts. Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and our longings with his. We, to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and to crave a world where he is all in all. A concept encapsulated in the idea, the kingdom of God. This is what Luke is describing when he says, they devoted themselves to the gospel and a deep sense of awe came over them. 
My prayer for you is that as you center your life on the word of God, that you would be filled with awe and wonder and that you would see signs and miracles. I also believe that it's in the centeredness of the gospel that we best learn the second lesson from the early church. They were committed to relationship. They were committed to relationship. One of the things that I hear my good friend, Pastor Dave Hurtwick, who pastors on the other side of town, he preaches this all the time. He says, what God does in you, he wants to do through you. What God does in you, he wants to do through you. And this reminds us that the gospel message is not just information that God wants to put in us. It's not just new information. It's not just a new way of thinking. It's also something to change us and to move us. What God does in you, he wants to do through you. And that change is best reflected in relationship with others. But as you know, this doesn't always come naturally for us. That's why we're reminded in verse 42, they were devoted to fellowship. Fellowship is one of those funky Christianese words that you don't hear used anywhere else in life, right? Like, when you're at work and the work day ends and it's Friday and, like, and, the, and your coworkers are like, hey, let's go down to the local watering hole. We're just gonna fellowship together, right? That doesn't happen. And if it does, you're probably not going, right? Or, you know, or, or when you're in school and recess is coming and you're super excited and you're like, man, I can't wait to go outside and fellowship with you guys, right? No, that's the kid who's sitting on the bench next to the teacher by themselves, most likely. Right? Or if it's like guys weekend out or ladies night out or something like that, you're, you're rarely you're like, come on guys, I can't wait to fellowship with you guys this weekend, right? That usually means you're duct taped to a tree out in the forest somewhere, right? But there is something significant about what is being said here and specifically the word fellowship for Christian believers. So let's see what it has to say. The word fellowship here, the root of what the word is that's being used is the word koinonia. And what koinonia means is literally to share life together. It's investing in and allowing others to invest in your life. They were devoted to sharing life together. Verses 44 through 46 give us an example of what this looks like. It says they gathered together, they shared everything that they had to the point of selling what they had to help others in need. They met in church together and in each other's homes. And most importantly for Christians, they ate together, right? Do Christians gather? I see the hand pump from Jennifer Leon. <laughs> because when I think of eating together, I think of anytime I'm at their house, there's food, like crazy amounts of food. Everywhere. Like we don't do anything together with Christians without food being there. We don't even need to ask anymore, right? Like, is there gonna be food? Should I, should I eat before I come? No, 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 you don't have to worry about that. When Christians gather together, they eat together. And it's because we share life together, right? It's, it's, it's whatever I have is yours and what you have is mine and we share life together. That's what it means to have fellowship. It isn't just hanging out. It's intentionally sharing life together. In the early church, an isolated Christian was a dead Christian. And it's very much true in some different ways today. Whether you're here in this room amongst all these people that are here or whether you're at home watching, there are seasons of our life where we feel isolated, out of relationship with other people. There can be millions of people around us and we can still feel isolated and out of relationship. But that's not what God's design and plan is for our life. We need to find a community that we can plug in, that we can share life together. And it goes two ways. 
People can try to invest in your life, but if you're not willing to share with them, if there's barriers and blocks and things like that, then it can only go so far. But we also need to be willing to share our lives with other people as well. True fellowship takes devotion. It takes commitment. Uncommitted people don't sell what's rightfully theirs to help someone else. Uncommitted people don't let others into the intimate details of their lives. Uncommitted people don't give generously. It's when we're led by the Holy Spirit that he desires to work in us both individually and collectively. They were devoted to the gospel. They were committed in relationship. And thirdly, they were abounding in gratitude. Can you think of anything more refreshing, anything better than someone who is just grateful? If you stop and think, who, do I, who are the people in my life that I know that are grateful? Chances are it's probably a very small list, but they come to your mind pretty quickly because it's so different than other people that you know in your life. They just live a grateful, thankful life. They're thankful for the things that they have. They're grateful for what they have in their lives. It's, it's something that I pray for my girls all the time, that they would be grateful, thankful people. It's something that I still need in my life as well. I remember being grateful once. We, a couple of years ago, we went on a missions trip to Haiti, and I'm a large human being, and Haiti is very warm, very hot, and very humid. And we did a lot of working, we did a lot of things, and, and my body was just not built for heat. Um, and I can remember just being baked in the sun, and all of a sudden, this little waft of breeze went by. And I remember, I, I've never in my life for a breeze thought to myself, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> right? Thank you, God. This little breeze that came through. It was towards the end of our, our time that we were there. It was one of the last meals that we were having there. And ice was a scarcity uh, throughout the whole week. And the ice that we did have, for some reason, was not drinkable ice. We were told, no, don't drink the ice. Okay. I love ice. I can't have, if I've got a drink, it's ice up to here and then whatever fills the rest with the drinks, right? So we're there one of our last dinners and I noticed, there's other people that are there that aren't with our group and I noticed this girl sitting off to the side and she has a glass of drink and it has ice in it. I was like, where did she get that ice? Did she have it imported? Where does she, where'd she get that ice? Well, she finishes her meal and I see her getting ready to take her tray up and, and there's still ice in the glass. like, this would be a travesty to waste, <laughs> to waste that ice. And I'm an extrovert. <laughs> and so I walk over to this girl. I have no idea who she is. And I was like, hey, where did you get that cup of ice? And I don't really remember what she said because I'm seeing the water bubbles on the outside, the condensation on the outside. And that's all I'm fixated on. And, um, and there was no more. And, and so I said to her, are you, are you done with that <laughs> cup of ice? She's like, yes. I was like, can I have your cup of ice? She's like, sure. Now, I was never gonna see this girl again, to my knowledge, and I took my little warm Coke and I poured it over that ice and the little fizz and the bubbles came up and the, I, was, I was so thankful and so grateful for that little cup 
of ice. When we, when we have seasons or moments in our lives where we're just thankful and grateful, we just know it's different. We know it's right. This is how our lives should be. Verse 46, they said, they worshiped together in the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. The NLV says it this way, with glad and sincere hearts. The English Standard Version says, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and giving favor for all the people. They lived in unity and harmony together because they were abounding in gratitude. They were thankful for the relationships that they had. They were thankful for the life that they had. And they were willing to share whatever they had for the sake of the community, for the sake of together. In my experience, gratitude is not something that happens when everything is going your way. It's fixing our eyes on Jesus and our hearts rooted in the truth. And it's something called perspective. In my experience, gratitude is all about perspective. Gratitude is not reliant on circumstances going right or wrong. It's not what I have or don't have. Gratitude is not even dependent on everything going my way. Gratitude is a matter of perspective. It's seeing the world through the lens of the good news of Jesus. It's knowing that God is sovereign. It's the security that he is in control. It's the heart condition of knowing I deserve nothing that everything that I have is a blessing from God, even if all that I have is the breath in my lungs. It's the freedom of not needing to have everything your way, but it's living in the assurance that one day he will wipe away every tear from every eye, that he's making all things new, that because of God's unconditional love, mercy, and grace, I have eternal life with him in heaven that though there may be weeping through the night, joy comes in the morning. Living with gratitude doesn't mean pretending that everything is always good. It doesn't mean that you don't have any problems, and it doesn't mean that you don't need any help. Living a life of gratitude means in the midst of unfavorable circumstances, I know it's going to be okay, because Jesus still sits on the throne in the early church, they didn't worry about giving up something that they had for the sake of someone else because they knew one way or another God would provide for them. And so they celebrated together. They celebrated together. So they devoted themselves to the truth of God's word. They were committed to sharing life with each other. They overflowed with gratefulness. And lastly, they were reliant on prayer. Verse 42 says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, and to prayer. When the early church got together, they met with God. Clearly, prayer is a high priority for the early church, and it's recorded all through the book of Acts. In Acts, there's a lot of prayer, and there's a lot of moving of the Holy Spirit. And when there's a lot of moving of the Holy Spirit, there is a lot of prayer. They recognized prayer was the source of intimacy with God, which gave them the sensitivity to his direction and allowed his power to work through them. 
We've actually spent several uh, weeks in this series of Led by the Spirit talking about prayer. And I would encourage you, if you haven't listened to those messages, to go back online and listen to those messages. So I'm not gonna over, I'm not gonna unpack them too much other than to build upon what has been said to point this out. Without the anchor of prayer in our lives, all these other things drift away. There's no devotion to the word without prayer and the Holy Spirit illuminating our hearts to its truth. There's no unity in the body of Christ without the strength and patience and generosity and wisdom found in unity with Christ himself. And there's no true gratitude if we're not directing our praise and our thankfulness towards the giver of all good gifts. So let me answer the crucial question for you. Why did this work for them? Why did the early believers have such great unity, have such great gratitude, pray so hard, center their life on the gospel, and their church grew every day? Why did it work for them? I think it's found back in verse 43 in the phrase, a deep sense of awe and wonder was with them, or fear came upon every soul a joyful, trembling sense of all that there's something different about Jesus. There's something powerful, something transforming, that in, 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 in many cases, something worth even giving my life for. But sadly, that's not always our experience. Today, for most people, uh, being a follower of Jesus even means it's just something we talk about. It's an inference from an argument or it's a family tradition to be preserved. But for very few people, is God a stark, fearsome, stunning, awesome, shocking, present reality? For too many of us, he's tame or distant or silent. He's another thing we have to do. Where are the churches for whom Luke would say today, fear and awe and wonder was upon every soul? It's the prayer for this church. It's the prayer for churches all across central New York that I have. It's for for my prayer for churches all over New York and all over the nation and all over the world that there would be this centering on the gospel and there would be this awe and wonder when we fully realize by the power of the Holy Spirit what has been done for us through our Savior, Jesus Christ. The absence of this awe and wonder has a direct effect on the mishandling of God's truth. And so we find our own truth and we create our own story and we we build our own religion and we build our own direction because we're not centered on the truth. And so, or we accumulate possessions for ourselves, or we ignore the, e- the needy, or the way we trivialize fellowship, or the way that we play more than we pray, or the way that we prioritize our lives. And in doing so, we've lost our purpose. And in many cases, we've lost ourselves. But don't worry, you don't have to do it alone. Verse 47 tells us that each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. There was something undeniable from those on the inside and even those outside the community that they needed to get in. And every day, they watched them live their lives. They watched them live the way that nobody else lived their lives. And they said, I got to be a part of that. When people look at your life, when people look at my life, when people look at your lives, is it the kind of life that somebody says, I've got to get in there. It's different than anything else. 
I've ever seen before. That's what I want our lives centered on. And it's got to start with this awe and wonder of what has been done on our behalf through Jesus. Every day God added to their numbers. This is how we were meant to live together. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I recognize this morning that the starting line for some is that initial understanding of the gospel, the the initial invitation into the family of God. That there are those this morning that your Holy Spirit is moving their heart to recognize they are in need of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And so this morning, if that is you, if you've not made a decision to follow Jesus, but you recognize you can't do it on your own, you recognize that your life is, needs something different, your life, you've seen what the potential is for Jesus to transform your heart, maybe it's in someone else, maybe it's just in hearing the word today that you are in need of a Savior, and the Holy Spirit is calling you this morning to give your life to Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity and pray with you this morning. And if that's you, if you would be willing to just raise your hand, I'm not going to call you up. I'm not going to uh, bring anything crazy uh, to you. I just want to know who I'm praying with this morning. Thank you so much. Is there anyone else this morning that recognizes I need to be a part of the community of God? I need to be restored in relationship to Jesus first before all these other things need, can be added. Let me pray with you this morning. Father, thank you that while we were still your enemies, it says you died for us. So we don't need to bring anything with us. You have provided everything that we need. And this morning we recognize we are in need of a savior and that Jesus has provided what we need. So we put our trust in the work of Jesus this morning. That he paid the price for the sin, that it no longer has any power over our lives. We resist the lies of the enemy who would whisper in our ears this morning anything other than the truth of the gospel. And Father, forgive all of our hearts this morning for for centering ourselves on anything other than the work and, and life of Christ Jesus on our behalf. Center us this morning. Help us to find awe and wonder this morning in the gospel, Lord God. And allow out of that awe and wonder, Lord, I pray this morning for those who feel isolated. I pray this morning for those who feel alone that you would help them to see people around them. Give even others eyes to see those that are lonely that they would go after them and bring them in and allow our hearts to be humble enough to receive relationship with others, to allow them to invest in our lives, to allow us to pour into one another's lives. Father, I pray for grateful, gracious hearts this morning. Forgive us for complaining. Forgive us for grumbling. Forgive us for not thinking we have all the things that we deserve and help us to understand what we truly deserve and be grateful and thankful for your rescue this morning, Lord God. Let that be the start line for some of our hearts this morning, Lord God, as we live a grateful, thankful life. Lord, help me... Help me not to take, it, take for granted those little breezes that come that I'm thankful that you've provided for me. But in all things, be grateful, Lord God. Help us to stay dedicated in prayer this morning. Drive us back to our knees so that you can do the work that you need to through our hearts and through us. And Lord, what you're doing in us, do through us this morning. We love you. We thank you. We honor you. And we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Amen. As we dismiss this morning, I'm going to have any of our prayer team, any of our elders and deacons come up to pray. I want to give you an opportunity to know you can pray, we can pray with each other. We can pray together. If there's any specific needs that we can lift together with you, we want to provide that opportunity. We'll stay here and pray with you as long as, uh, as, long as you would like to. Thank you so much for coming and being with us. Make sure you keep and uh, check out the, the, our, our website. Let us know your interest in being part of one of our growth groups. We would love to be able to share life with you, love to be able to invest with you. You're going to continue to hear more and more about this over the next couple of weeks and months. And this is going to be kind of the heartbeat of our church to do life together. So I hope that's okay with you. Love you guys. Thank you so much. Please come forward if you have anything you'd like prayer for. Love you guys as you, as you go today.